Hello and welcome to Baseball Bite. For people who'd rather be listening to the game than to a podcast about it. It's a quick look at some of the baseball news from the past week. As always, the pitch clock is running. Plenty to get through. Let's play ball. It's No, 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 that's quite enough of that thank you. We're not rehashing that pain anymore. Besides, this is baseball bite, not footy bite. The clue is in the name. So rather than stare glumly at the events of last weekend, let's turn our thoughts to some much more appealing green fields of the mind. It has to be said, though, that one of the great pitfalls of any baseball podcast is that often by the time an episode is recorded, the seemingly stable tectonic plates of the standings are on the move again. So by the time you listen to this, it's very possible, for example, that all the rumours swirling around a possible trade of Cubs Chris Bryant to the Mets are confirmed. And that's why why Baseball Bite is as keen on making strong predictions as our oldest Chapman is on viewing old ALCS highlights. Speaking of whom, it was suggested in the last episode that New York, in light of its struggles bumping along at fourth in the AL East, might feel some trepidation as it returned last Friday to Minute Maid Park for the first time since that fateful series in 2019, and now to face a team currently judged to be the best offence in baseball. And Houston had no reservations about triggering any painful memories with its giveaway of replica AL champion trophies and rings to those lucky Astro fans on Friday and Saturday respectively. Perhaps that, rather like my suggestion of possible Yankee wobbles, tempted fate, as New York ended up turning the tables impressively with a 4-0 shutout courtesy of a strong outing by starter Nesta Cordes last Friday, which was the entree to the absolute pitching feast that was Garrett Cole on Saturday with his stunning complete game 3-hit 1-0 shutout of Houston. His 129 pitches being the most thrown by any pitcher this season and the first time that the Astros have been shut out in two straight games this year, having only been blanked once in the whole season so far. All of which went some way to silencing those who've been suggesting lately that there might be a sticky, or more to the point, non-stick, reason for Mr. Cole's recent slump. But the baseball gods had the last laugh as Sunday's ballpark giveaway of Jose Altuve's shirt to commemorate his famous 2019 ALCS walk-off prejudiced him doing a once-more-with-feeling rendition with his three-run walk-off homer to complete an astounding six-run rally in the ninth inning for the shock 8-7 victory to avert the sweep. The first time the Astros had managed to win from that far behind since 1980. And there have only been two games this season where her team has lost in spite of leading by four runs in the ninth, and both occasions were the Yankees. So while New York enters the second half of the season with many of those questions about both its offense and bullpen still lingering, the Astros continue to ride their confident wave comfortably astride the AL West, albeit with their own questions about the need for more depth in their bullpen, which apart from the solid Ryan Presley could arguably do with some bolstering. And when Chicago Cubs' Jed Hoyer said last week that he was expecting a lot of phone calls, it's not surprising the amount of chatter suggesting that some of those calls are already from Houston inquiring after elite closer Craig Kimbrell. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Oh, you horrible little children. How many times have I told you baseball is a marathon, not a sprint? Although I guess once the all-star razzmatazz is over for another year, the running pace does speed up more for some than others. One team that we hear is already getting those daily calls, as confirmed last week by its GM Kim Ng, is Miami. And players such as Starin Mate, Miguel Rojas and Jesus Aguilar continue to be attractive options for any contending teams. Mr Aguilar did his bit for a call-me-maybe audition last Sunday with a three-run homer in Miami's 7-4 win over the Braves, ending the Marlins' three-game losing streak. Last Sunday also saw starter Pablo Lopez make Major League history by being the first pitcher to ever strike out the first nine batters to start a game, beating the record of eight Ks last punched out by Germán Márquez in 2018. It was the end to an eventful and at times very tetchy series, with ongoing tensions between the two teams. And Saturday's game marked an 
absolute low for Atlanta, with a catastrophic season-ending ACL injury suffered by its star, Ronald Acuna Jr., thanks to a botched leaping catch. Losing Mr. Acuna Jr. from the roster really is the worst possible ending to an already difficult first half, throughout which the Braves have failed to get over 500 at any point, and is the first time that Atlanta goes into the second half with a losing record since 2017. So it was in that context that we heard the news yesterday of the notable trade of Jock Peterson from the Cubs for Braves prospect Bryce Ball. Mr. Peterson's arrival in the outfield will go some way to fill that void left by Mr. Cunha Jr. while confirming that Chicago is now very much open for business. And the big reason why, in spite of those difficulties, Atlanta is still potentially in buying mode is the Mets. Yes, they went into the break sitting at the top of the NL East, the first time since 2007, but as manager Luis Rojas warned last week, the team is in danger of coasting. And with the Phillies only three and a half games behind, and Atlanta four games behind, in a still crazily tight division, the other teams see vulnerability. Take last weekend's series against Pittsburgh, a team that it really needs to be beating easily. It was an important opportunity for New York to pull away from the pack, and one that it failed, with a four-game series split again raising questions about the team's endemic offensive struggles, as it sits stubbornly at the bottom of various tables such as runs scored per game, where it is 29th in baseball above, ironically, Pittsburgh. The hope, of course, is that the likes of Francisco Lindor, Michael Conforto, Brandon Nimmo and Jeff McNeil can come back revitalised and ready for the surge ahead. And even with the activation of J.D. Davis on the I.L. this weekend, those aforementioned rumours of a Chris Bryant trade make a lot of sense for a contending team that still needs the extra positional value that he might bring. Another team that is currently looking over its shoulder is Milwaukee, which towards the end of the first half was streaking ahead at the top of the NL Central. That was until Cincinnati set its bats ablaze, winning three of the four-game series against the Brewers over last weekend, and thus pulling within four games behind. And they'll be hoping to build on that momentum back in Cincinnati as they square off again for three games from tonight. The Reds certainly went into the break feeling confident having won 13 of their last 19 games, and with the power duo of Nick Cassianos and Jesse Winkle at the forefront, are first in the NL in hitting and third in runs scored in RBI. But although their pitching has improved since the end of June, there is still some scepticism in the long term concerning the bullpen, which for much of the season has had the worst ERA in baseball. But the team has had the most to be happy about at the end of the first half, especially when we consider the widely accepted dismal projections at the beginning of it, will be the Giants, who with their crushing three-game sweep of the Nationals last weekend went into the break 57-32, and the best record in the whole of baseball, and the first time for San Francisco to do that since 2016. And with a rotation led by Kevin Gosman, who ended the first half with an ERA of 173, second only to Jacob deGrom, not to mention their 132 home runs leading all of baseball, the Giants certainly had a lot to celebrate during this break. Ah, yes, Baseball Bite does love the whole all-star break fandango. And although for many players it's a time to lie down in a darkened room and hope to escape anxiety dreams involving Angel Hernandez, for many others it's Baseball's equivalent of the Oscars and a very swaggy office Christmas party all rolled into one glitzy jamboree. And it did not disappoint this week what with Shohei Otani being, well, Shohei Otani, who even without winning the home run derby still made history the next day as both lead-off hitter and starting pitcher for the first inning of the All-Star game. And there were feel-good stories aplenty, whether it be this season's ultimate comeback hero Trey Mancini coming from last year's stage 3 colon cancer diagnosis ending up in the derby final, or Peter Alonso achieving his dream of a back-to-back win.
And at the next day's All-Star game, one of the other great faces of baseball, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. shone brightly with his 468-foot home run, the longest at the All-Star game in 10 years, and at 22, making him the youngest to homer since Johnny Bench in 1968. And the eventual 5-2 victory for the American League, its eighth straight win, also meant the MVP crown for Mr. Guerrero Jr., making him the youngest in their All-Star game history, a fitting accolade for a lad who is the youngest player since Astros Cesar Cedeño in 1972 to lead the majors in batting average at this point in the season. And in light of recent controversy after comments this week by ESPN Stephen A. Smith, who criticised Otani-san's need for an interpreter, it was perhaps a pointed reminder for Marley Rivera, also of ESPN, who chose instead in a tweet to focus on this wonderful truth. The All-Star Games winning pitcher was a Japanese two-way player. The MVP was a 22-year-old from the Dominican Republic. And the save went to Liam Hendricks from Australia. That is the game we love. Something else the baseball bite loves is the MLB draft, when for the lucky few at least all those hopes and dreams are realised in that precious moment when their names are announced by the commissioner, albeit to the soundtrack this year of some very audible boos from some of the audience who did not seem to be members of the Manfred fan club. And although the names picked in the first round draft were not necessarily a surprise, the order in which they came did raise some eyebrows. Pittsburgh, with the number one overall draft pick, went for 21-year-old catcher Henry Davis, who, although not the expected top pick, is seen by most experts as a top five overall talent. ESPN's Kylie McDaniel regards him as the draft's best college hitter by a good margin, and with his excellent power and arm strength, Fangraphs calls him a rare offensive talent for a backstop. No surprise that Vanderbilt pitching ace Jack Leiter, having been the talk of college baseball all year, was chosen second by Texas. It had been widely assumed that Marcelo Mayer would be number one overall, an assumption shared apparently by Boston, which was very happy to be able to get him in the fourth pick. As a player who is often mentioned in terms of Cory Seager or Carlos Correa, he was one of the four high school shortstops predicted to be snapped up immediately. There was also some surprise that the other famous Vandy boy, Kumar Roca, was allowed to drop as far as 10th to be taken by the Mets. And in spite of the shaky year that he's had, New York was certainly not complaining. But the biggest steal of the night was the last of those four notable high school shortstops, Khalil Watson, who, to much surprise, had to wait until the 16th pick by the Marlins. And they were very excited to get this unexpected chance to capture a player who has the athleticism and tools for shortstop, but a plus speed that suggests a potential one day for centre field. Of course, in the end, the proof of the Major League pudding is on its fields, and someone who will be getting his first taste of the show is Jalen Duran, who the Red Sox announced would be called up for yesterday's scheduled game against the Yankees. In spite of being a 7th round draft pick in 2018, he went on to a very convincing start in pro ball as a top prospect in the outfield. Packing an impressive punch of both power and speed, he's expected to take over as Boston's everyday centre fielder, a position which arguably has never been adequately filled since the departure of Jackie Bradley Jr. It's not surprising that Boston wanted to make this move, what with Tampa Bay snapping at its heels only one and a half games behind in the AL East. Alas, we'll have to wait a little longer to see Mr. Duran, as yes, his game was cancelled due to yet another COVID outbreak among so far six New York players, including Aaron Judge. The good news is that being vaccinated, they are reported to be asymptomatic, and at this moment it appears tonight's game is going ahead, albeit with this setback to the lineup that is the last thing the Yankees needed when trying to bounce back in the second half. But what is even more worrying is the implication that the infection may have come from the All-Star Week. In which case, Major League is bracing itself for the possibility that those joyous festivities were not only a superstar event, but also potentially a super spreader for its best and finest. Ah, that joyous sound of the Mariners' home run home can only mean one thing. It's time to trot around the bases and make my way home. But do make sure to subscribe and follow at Baseball Bite. And never forget, my friends, sometimes in life, a quick bite is all that you need. 
Until next time, happy baseballing. <laughs>